0: Are you suffering from chronic joint or back pain? Downtowns Healthcare in Denver offers effective alternative therapies that are non-invasive, non-surgical, and drug-free. Start your journey to a pain-free life. Call Downtowns Healthcare at 303-292-9992 now in Lowry or Downtown.
1: Uh, specific system, minus, minus. Minus. To nature. What traits or skills would you say you had to add to your tool belt that you didn't have? before the pandemic to make you successful?
2: Well, flexibility, I mean, become even more flexible than what I was before, meaning any problem, any new thing that came uh, my way, instead of looking at it as a a problem, uh, I always have to look at it as a a challenge to overcome or at least learn from it. So I think that the pandemic taught me to be even more proactive and definitely be, be a being the person that yeah, accepts challenges even more than before. So don't complain. No matter what happens. Now, you know, I should travel. My new role, I should travel in Asia. You know, I shouldn't go to Europe, I shouldn't be around Asia, meeting agencies and and so on. I cannot travel. From day one I was never being able to travel. Maybe I could have Lots of people who lose people taking positions so nothing is a problem and everything is in challenge
1: Get a free ride. Ten, And it's nine, not nice to say, eight, but seven, that's what they're six, doing. Five, and I feel four, that if we can offer a three, value. Three, well, hey, everybody, this is John C. Morley, serial entrepreneur and the host of the J. Moore Tech Talk Show. Welcome to our show. It is always great to be here on another wonderful, fantastic, fabulous friday how are you doing today marcus
2: i'm doing fantastic john very great to be here with you today
1: well it's always great to have you here as well my trusty co-host we have another amazing show don't we marcus
2: looking forward to it i know it's awesome
1: tonight we're actually going to hear from another international guest uh leonardo mara a little bit later in the program but let's get started with uh what's top in the news. So how many of you out there know Tinder? Okay. Well, <laughs> Tinder is actually blaming Google and Apple oh. for enabling underage minors from getting on dating apps. Oh, now tell my. me that's not a lot to <laughs> yeah. to take in. Oh I yes. mean, who's really at fault there uh with them saying that? I mean Yeah. Oh. Tenders, uh you know, not able to take responsibility or is it because of the way information's being passed? Uh, <laughs> they claim that the two different smartphone giants have allowed underage dating app users. Um, and it should be, as you know, to only 18 above.
3: Yeah, exactly. That's and what so
1: um, they're researching this and trying to see what's going to go on. But uh, this is something that is definitely going to be Uh, In the news for a while, and the chief legal officer, uh, Jane Sign testified to the U.S. Senate on April 21st, according to uh, Stefani Reynolds, uh, Bloomberg, that they claim um, this is what uh, is going on. And, uh, you know, Match versus Apple and Google, really uh, a different world, but then again, not so, is... Tinder really a dating app, or is it something else? Because more and more people are getting on Tinder, but unfortunately, Marcus, uh, relationships and uh, love is not really uh, being built. So I think this is something that uh, we have to be concerned about. You know, when you use an app, uh, your privacy, we all know that Facebook for a while. Uh, You know, had uh, and still does takes information and now you can delete that information, but they don't make it very easy uh, to delete uh, third party or offline Facebook data and they use and sell this all day long from people like um, where you'd get deliveries from to other app stores that you uh, would go to or even dating apps. So this is really a concern, Marcus, that uh, something like this is actually happening. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But um, they have stated that, uh, you know, a lot of these people are, you know, being um, caught in the middle. But they also said that they had been punished and threatened and even financially shaken by Apple once they started to develop rival products. So... Uh, this is very interesting. Uh, and this actually comes from, uh, you know, the Spotify range and both Apple and Google denied the allegations. Of course, you knew that was <laughs> yeah. going to happen, right, Marcus? <laughs> <Of course. laughs> and so, you know, with this testimony and now the fact that people's privacy and not just privacy, but the safety of their lives. Now, I don't know if you all realize this, but when you go on an app, uh, whether it's for dating or whether it's, uh for just uh, connecting with other people or networking, you have to realize that that information is sitting out there in the cloud and who is actually the one that's responsible for managing that. And so um, it seems like these apps are almost being slightly deceptive in how they're handling this type of behavior and, and what they're doing. And so... Now, uh, a new thing that's uh, been talked about before, which I'm sure you heard about, which was uh, the new app by uh, Tinder called Swipe Night. And that came out uh, back in 2019. And they had some similar challenges. But I think the moral here is that companies are doing things. And unfortunately, if it's making them money, they're, they're unfortunately looking the other way when it comes to people's privacy. And their safety. Yeah. And uh, we learned a while back that if we can have a toy or a doll, and the doll can get exploited, and befriend someone and get them to share personal information about themselves, their family, and their whereabouts, that's very frightening. It's very scary. So I think we need to be careful about yeah. what's uh, you know really going on, Marcus. So I hope yeah. people will uh, you know follow what's going on, and we're going to continue to follow the Tinder. Um, story here that's uh, you know blaming Google and Apple for failure to keep away these people, but is it really just Google and Apple that should be blamed? Is Tinder at fault? And I have to say, if you're taking information from Google and Apple, maybe you should be doing your own checks right. to make sure that uh, the people are actually uh, you know who they say they are, and so. I don't know if it falls a hundred percent on Google and Apple. No. I know there's a good part, but Tinder could still be doing some other things that could verify a person is 18 or older. Maybe they could ask a question that only somebody that was born around that year would know. So there's lots of things they actually, uh, you know, can do. So we'll have to see Marcus, what's going to happen. And I think yeah. um, as we progress, More and more is going to transpire. But I think the biggest problem is going to be for people to realize that dating apps and social networks, they're not safe. We always said, you know, you wouldn't give your credit card out to a total stranger. But why do you do it over the Internet to just anyone? And why do you just give out your personal information about your life? Why are we so trusting in an app that just got built a few weeks ago? or a few years ago? Why do we trust it? That's some really tough questions that I think have to be asked and answered sometime soon. Definitely. Well, IBM International Business Machines uh, announced its first two nanometer processor, a better performing chip that actually is more efficient because it uses less power. So when we talk about a two nanometer processor, uh, the processor can basically deliver, according to statistics, a 45% performance boost with the same amount of energy uh, being delivered to the chip wow. as the current 7-nanometer chip. So yeah. that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. And um, the same level of performance is using 75% less energy, and this is all according to IBM. Mm. So the 2-nanometer chip is going to be very, very popular. The question is, what's the cost of it going to be to the end users? And is this something that's gonna become, let's say part of the uh, mainline of manufacturing and available to people at a relatively reasonable price? So I think we're gonna to have to wait and see that uh, you know, two nanometer chips are where things are going, because we wanna have chips that are obviously more efficient that we can put more information on. And so I think this is going to be something interesting to follow. And technology, you know, is going to keep getting better, just like hard drives have gotten better. uh, We can now stack the platters, we can put more information. And now we have digital hard drives that don't even have moving parts. So I think we've really evolved, Marcus, from, you know, where things uh, have started. And so I believe that, you know, technology always evolves. Uh, You remember a while back, Uh, We had um, motherboards, for example, that, uh, you know, had connections that were, uh, you know, just pin connections. Now we've got more uh, Molex type connections so that even though they have pins on them, they're not so easy to break or damage. And you can pull the connectors on and off uh, very easily. And most importantly, you can't really put the connector on wrong unless you try very hard. So damaging something is a lot harder, not saying that it can't be done, but definitely uh, it is going to be something that more and more people are concerned about is being able to use technology that is truly plug and play. And so, you know, the exact method of how they're uh, manufacturing these two chips, the two nanometer and now the seven nanometer processor, uh, they're going to use billions of transistors and electrical um, and NAND gates. And they'll switch on and off to perform various calculations. Because remember, a computer is just zeros and ones. And it's going to take some mondo power to do this. Um, The way we actually can um, put the 7 nanometer into a quantitative state is to take the size of a transistor with a nanometer um, and uh, being useful to basically measure that in metrics for judging how power is going to travel from a particular place to another part um, and to the CPU. And so where it's gonna go and and not go and the actual time. So the seven nanometer chip is referred to as the TSMC process. And it's what the new Apple A12X chip is actually um, uh, based around and the AMD new CPUs are based around. So there's a lot happening. And I think, uh, you know, we talk in terms of the tmsc uh there is a lot that's going to happen and it is the world's uh dedicated semiconductor uh foundry since 1987 and it supports a very uh stable growing economy and so my only question is why is it that we in america can't produce this level of quality That's a good question, John. Why? (laughs) That's a
2: real good question.
1: (laughs) We're always relying on other companies and countries specifically. Disappointing. Why is that happening?
2: It's so disappointing.
1: Is it because we don't have the drive? Is it because we don't have the resources? Well, what would it look like if the United States of America did have the resources? I have to tell you, our world would be different. There would probably be more jobs and we would have more control over technology because we would be the ones that were actually the originators and not the ones trying to get a product from somewhere else. A lot of times we develop technology here in the United States, but it's too expensive to manufacture. So we send it overseas. Quality is awfully an issue. And other things that pop up besides quality is um, the fact that maybe when it's being built, it actually doesn't have the same let's say pathway that maybe it would be if it was done in the United States. Right. You know, maybe forget quality, but maybe they do things a little bit differently. And so when we translate it and someone overseas makes it, they might take some shortcuts. I'm just saying. And so uh, TSMC is a global capacity with about 13 million and i um, 300 millimeter equivalent wafers per year as of 2020. And it makes these chips for customers with process nodes from two microns to seven to five nanometers. So this is where we're going. And with the seven nanometer chip happening, uh, the TSMC, in case you're wondering, stands for Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. Why don't we have the USMC, the United States Manufacturing Company? or the United, uh, the U.S. SMC, the United States Semiconductor Manufacturing uh, Company. I'm just saying. Well, our next guest is going to be a real treat. Leonardo Mara. He is an APAC area manager. He is actually the host of a podcast show um, called the International Business Podcast. He is a sales management professional with a solid background in cross-functional and cross-cultural relationships. Currently, he manages the Asia Pacific region for the Instituto Maragani and Domus Academy, uh, the global education pillars for professionals that are creating and learning in the fashion, art, and design fields. And I think this is going to be really interesting to talk to him because not only are we going to probably learn about him, but we're going to learn a lot about the culture. And I think culture, Marcus, is really key yeah,
3: great.
1: in having people to be able to really um, grow from the current position and set new milestones and achieve even grander goals. Yeah, so Ladies
0: important.
1: and gentlemen, please help me welcome tonight to the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show, Mr. Leonardo Mara. Well, welcome, Leonardo, uh, to the J Moore Tech Talk Show. It is a pleasure to have you here tonight.
0: Are you suffering from chronic joint or back pain? Downtown's Healthcare in Denver offers effective alternative therapies that are non-invasive, non-surgical, and drug-free. Start your journey to a pain-free life. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown.
2: Hi, John, it's a pleasure for me to be here. So looking at your background,
1: you've really been very busy, and I see that with the pandemic, uh, your life has probably changed quite a bit, right? What did you do, if I may ask, before the pandemic?
2: Yes, so before the pandemic, I was working in a medical device sales. So I'm based in Shanghai, China, and in my previous job, i was a b2b sales manager so working for a chinese manufacturer and my job was to find distributors all over the world with a focus on europe because i'm european Uh, but i had uh, distributors i don't know in the in the states all the way down to australia and i was traveling every single month everywhere again from the states africa europe around asia then the pandemic hit and here we are on Zoom. Actually, this platform is not Zoom, but we moved everything digitally. And funny enough, I changed job during the pandemic, a couple of months after the virus um, happened in China.
1: So I have to ask you, you know, with that type of change, because a lot of people, you know, they see the difference between a successful person, an entrepreneur, is somebody who can think on their feet. And uh, that's something we've obviously had to learn how to do if you didn't how to do it already uh, to be resilient and stay successful. So what is your role now, Leonardo, and how did that change from what you were doing in the past?
2: So the industry completely changed because I was for over five years in med tech, medical devices, and now I work in fashion. So I would say completely unrelated Uh, industries I was talking to surgeons and to medical distributors and now I talk with education consultants university professors and 18 year old students who want to go to London or Paris or Milan to study fashion design so lots of people were very kind of shocked when they heard about this change but I think for instance if you're in uh, into sales It's all about building relationships. It is all about understanding what the customer uh, wants or needs. It is all about, I would say, analyzing your surroundings and finding solutions to problems. So at the end of the day, I don't want to say the fashion and medical device is the same, but I really believe that the foundation of some business areas, it, it is exactly the same. It's all about, again finding mutual grounds. And I think I'm kind of proof of this because you know I really changed from an industry to another one that is completely different. I was working for a Chinese company and now working for an Italian company, first time in a decade.
1: Leonardo, I have to say, and you and I didn't talk before our interview other than to just to say hello. You're like reading my mind. Did you like get a, a, a wire into my brain? Cause it was like the same thing. It's like you went from one industry to another, but no matter what industry you're in, you're really not selling anything. You're if you're selling something, you're selling yourself, but you're building relationships. And what I like to talk about, Leonardo, is building value into relationships. So many people want to set up a one on one. Oh, yeah, let's get set up a one on one. OK, what are we going to set up one-on-one? Oh, let's just set up one. OK, we'll set up one. And then it becomes this sales presentation. You know, and I know we're all in sales, regardless of whether it being an engineer or I'm a podcaster, talk show host, uh, serial entrepreneur, we're all in sales. But at the end of the day, it's about solving problems, right? So let me ask you something, Leonardo. How would you say that you bring value to the table? And what are your non-negotiables for networking in business?
2: I think that to bring value um, into a business relationship the very first thing we all need to do is to listen. And okay, this comes from a salesman. Usually you know, salespeople are famous, um, maybe unfortunately, because they talk a lot. So if you're in sales, like I am, if you kind of step back a little bit and listen more, I think everything becomes easier. First of all, because most of salesmen talk too much. And second, if you step back and listen more often than not you're going to find the solution because your customer is going to tell you that and i'll take as an example my change uh, my industry change i really knew nothing about this industry about the company about the customers but you know one month later two months later into the new job i was let's say selling but how did i how did i do that by listening because if I was going to talk, I was probably going to say something foolish because I didn't know enough. I was lucky because I had and I have a great mentor, but at the same time, I spent most of my time uh, listening and then eventually talking. Non-negotiable, you have to be consistent. No matter what you're selling, okay, let's let's you know focus on sales here. you have to be consistent. So are you promising something on a specific date? You have to do that. Are you, let's say, on a one-to-one with a student or a client, no matter the industry, you need to listen. And then you need to deliver whatever it is that you promised uh, to them. Uh, so to succeed, especially in a new role in a new industry, again, patience, uh, listening skills, but resilience. You need to be constant. No matter what you do, you need to improve step-by-step step and take you from there
1: I love that Leonardo that is excellent advice to our viewers to have those non-negotiables and not to settle I think that's really important to set the standard and if people don't let's say uh, fall into that range well then it's time to move on I mean I'm not trying to be picky here but you know we have a right to choose who we want to do business with and I like to say you know we want to do business with high caliber people. People that appreciate the value that you, myself, and other professionals bring to the table. Now I have a very hard question for you. We've all had the challenges, whether it's been on LinkedIn or being an email. How do you handle somebody, you know, when they fire off something to you and they're trying to sell you? Or I call it the seventeen-page classic dissertation. And I always ask them. So um, I I didn't know, and they're like, "What do you mean you didn't know? Where did you go to school?" And they would tell me the school. I'm like. Did they have a medical program there? What do you mean? Well, you're sending me a 17-page dissertation. I was sure you got your doctorate. And they just fall off So how do you handle that? I know that's not an easy question to, to answer.
2: So, uh, John, do you mean if someone is trying to sell me something? Is this your question?
1: Yes. Yeah, so they basically connect with you on LinkedIn. And they don't have... Uh, genuine intentions, like I obviously did. I have genuine intentions. They reach out to you because they're trying to pitch you. And you may tell them that you're not interested, or they just send you something that is so far off what you even need that you're just like saying, this is a waste of my time. Um, I know what I do. I used to go back and send them one of my courses and say, Hey, you need to take this, what you what not to do on LinkedIn, take one of my free courses. But what I do if they still persist is I say, you've now been blocked and I block them and they're done because my time is really valuable. How would you handle that, Leonardo?
2: I agree with the last, especially the last thing you've said, John, time is valuable. In my opinion, if you receive, if I receive a sales pitch on LinkedIn that is not related, I mean, it's not, it's just not good. I don't feel guilty by directly blocking the person or just ignoring the sales pitch. So your time is valuable. And the more you work, so the more you get experience, the busier you become. If you receive, I don't know if I can say this, but let's say a crappy sales pitch, just ignore it or, say, or block the person straight away. Don't waste your time. I wouldn't waste my time.
1: Now when I reached out to you, cause I reached out to a lot of people on LinkedIn um Obviously, you saw that, you know, we were looking for somebody that had value and wanted to provide value to our audience. And I think sometimes you can't have a very long message. It has to be a couple sentences, but you have to get to your point immediately. Even if you're doing something good, people aren't going to read an entire paragraph. They're just not going to do it. So I try to get right to the point. Would you think that's a good idea?
2: Absolutely. I mean, you went straight to the point. You mentioned the podcast. Both, both of us have a podcast. You mentioned yes. someone that we have in common. So, I guess that you had on your show is someone that I know. Yes. And you know, because you you wrote these, I don't know, 2-3 sentences and they were pretty short, you immediately grasped my attention and I knew I understood that you weren't the typical LinkedIn salesperson who's just spamming around. And then we had, let's say, a longer conversation, but you you did it right. Straight to the point. It, it,
1: it, exactly. And you know, I teach people how to do things on LinkedIn. And I tell people it's not about spamming people. It's about creating value. And if you're gonna send a message to somebody, target that message. Don't send a message to everybody all around the world and just hope whatever sticks, (laughs) catches. That's just the wrong way. And I think people like you and I and other intelligent people as well, there are many other ones in the world. uh, It's just, they seem to be missing on LinkedIn every day. (laughs) A lot of them are, I guess, sleeping or those people just don't want to take the action. Uh, A very good person once said, and you probably know the person who wrote the book, you have to 10X everything, uh, Mr. Grant Cardone. And uh, I think it's really true because, you know, when you're putting in effort every day, you have to put in more effort than you think is necessary to achieve your goal. If you think you put enough in, chances are you haven't. So I would definitely recommend uh, for people to, to read that book. But I think the bottom line is you have to state up front what you're looking for. And when you have a commonality, that's how we learn. Uh, you've been in education before and, and you know that a foundation really makes the difference, right, to whether you're gonna remember something or not.
2: Yes, and on LinkedIn, you have to customize a little bit. And you said it right. You don't need to send five paragraphs or a length email. Just study slightly more the LinkedIn profile and then, come on, you can just check the activity that someone, you know, did on, uh, on LinkedIn. So you can see what people do, what people follow, what people comment, what people engage, what wh- which exactly. content to engage with. You know, it, it's not rocket science. Come on.
1: And then I look at, just like you do as well, the responses that come back. If I get something that says, gee, I've got this book and... I want to tell you about my program. So the first thing I do is I step back and say, Well, I'm glad you're an author. I interview authors, that's fantastic. But then if they keep pitching the program, I'm like, you know, I don't think we're a match because our show's about value, and I think your agenda is trying to sell me. I don't need your program with all
2: due respect. I I hate this. I hate people. I mean, hate is a strong word. Okay, don't no, I don't hate them, but <laughs> that's okay. You dislike it. <laughs> I dislike now there are many people that approach you on LinkedIn and they straightforward ask you, can I send you my free ebook? No. (laughs) I mean, no. (laughs) I, I really don't think this is a good strategy. I don't know you. And I know you want to send me a free ebook because then you're going to sell me something. You know what? If you spend slightly more time, maybe I don't want to say building a relationship, but doing something more before offering the ebook, maybe I was going to read your ebook. But if your first message is, Hey, do you want my free ebook? I'm going to say no and then cancel your throwaway. away.
1: I think if you put a message out on LinkedIn, which I've done before, and you put value in it, but there's no uh, commitment to it, and you want to respond because you like the message or you want to check out the ebook, that's one thing. But when it's tied to a concession, uh, it's not an NSA and no strings attached. There are strings there. And that's why a lot of these, you know, YouTubers was like, well, you know, go to my site, click on this link, and you're going to get this book that my staff's been working on. It's completely free. Well, yeah, it's completely free, but you're going to put in your email address, and then you're going to harass me 24-7. And I think that's just the wrong way. Now, I know a lot of people get sales that way, but I don't think you build a relationship that way. I know one way that I get people very interested in myself is I provide a motivational tip every day. I go live every day and I provide a tip about what they can do in their life. Now, there's no concession to me. It's just a value so people get to know me. And I think a lot of times people provide value, but they have a hook on it. Now, I'm not saying hooks are bad, but you can't do that when you're trying to build a relationship, whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn or or what have you and you know things have changed quite a bit so as we progress now into 2021 which is where we are and pretty soon into 2022 uh tell us right now what is the focus of your podcast and why did you actually create that leonardo
2: so as i mentioned uh i was traveling all over the world every single month when i was in my medical device sales role pandemic hit so i was stuck in shanghai so at least in one place uh, for a long time nobody knew what how long that was going to be i'm a, an active podcast listener i love listening to podcasts because you can gather knowledge while you're i don't know cooking commuting okay now I, i'm commuting but lots of people are not commuting now but anyway you can get knowledge by while you're doing something else and In my last 10 years, I work in several industries. I, you know, I'm Italian, I lived in Italy, then I moved to the UK for seven years, then I moved to China for three years. My network is quite large. So I was thinking, how can I keep engaging with my network and not just customers? Because again, if you're a salesperson and you only want to interact with potential buyers, you're gonna be an extremely boring person. Salesperson has to be a curious person. You must be able, you must be interested in learning new things. So the idea of the podcast came out, and the idea was no matter the industry, no matter the, the role that this person has, I want every Monday to publish an episode where for half an hour we talk about uh, international business. So this person could be from any part of the world, but in his or her role, uh, this person has to work across time zones, borders, and cultures. So I interview people from medtech, but I interview people from fashion, people from IT, entrepreneurs, CEOs sales managers, and I still do that. So it's almost, I'm still doing it. It is most, almost one year now, almost 50 episodes published. And I love it because I learn more about business, which makes me a better international businessman, no matter the role, no matter the industry I'm in.
1: Now, as we talked about, you know, being a chameleon, like being in the army, you know, they wear these uh, specific suits where people can't find them next to nature what traits or skills would you say you had to add to your tool belt that you didn't have before the pandemic to make you successful now
2: well flexibility i mean become even more flexible than what i was before meaning any problem any new thing that came on uh, my way instead of uh, looking at it as a as a problem uh, i always have to look at it as a as a challenge to overcome or at least to learn from it so i think that the pandemic taught me to be even more proactive and Definitely be be a being a person that yeah accepts challenges even more than before. So don't complain. No matter what happens. Now, you know, I should travel in my new role. I should travel in Asia. No, I shouldn't go to Europe. I should be around Asia meeting agencies, universities, and so on. I cannot travel. From day one, I was never been able to travel. Maybe I could have complained the first month, but now the lesson is shut up and work. Lots of people are in this position, so nothing is a problem. Everything is a new challenge, let's put it that way.
1: I love that word. You know, everything is a challenge. When it's a challenge, we want to conquer it. And this leads me back to something um, that you hear a lot. If you're not part of the solution, then you're part of the problem. The people that are making excuses every day, they're not trying to make their life better. They're looking for ways to get a free ride. And it's not nice to say, but that's what they're doing. And I feel that if we can offer value, you know, you don't get an ROI tomorrow because you offer value. You and I know this. We've been doing this a while. And even before my podcast, I had a very successful um radio show for a very long time. And then I decided to take it to uh podcasting because I didn't really want to do video, but it's sort of morph that I should get into that. I've done some YouTube videos. I said, let me start doing that. Let's provide the value. Let's show the people who I am. And I think when you have that intention, it's not going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be next week. But when people see that you keep showing up and you keep delivering value consistently, 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 just like you said, Leonardo, it's about consistency. You know, it's not about, you know, let's do it once and let's hope it sticks. It's not going to stick. You know, and I think that's the whole thing is that in doing podcasting and this thing, it's great because, like you said, we get to meet great people like yourself. And we get to learn from them and we get to expose this wonderful information to people all across the world. That's the thing that is so powerful and so uh, breathtakingly amazing. Is that you know, to say that I have guests internationally, I never fathomed that when I started the show out of here go. I never thought that was even possible. And one connection led to this connection, and then I met somebody in Asia and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm gonna start taking international guests. And then that led to another international guest, another international guest, and then more people from the US say, oh gee, I'd like to be on your show. I'm like, okay, well, I have international guests, celebrities, authors, you know, thought leaders. And I think at the end of the day, it's about value, but it's about helping people and having a purpose in life. And I always say, Leonardo, if you're doing a job and you think that's all you're doing, well, you're in the wrong business. You need to have a higher goal in life. And if you don't have a more powerful why, you're not going to be motivated to do anything. What do you think about that?
2: Yes, I completely agree with you there, uh, John. It's about finding your why. And I I would like to say that your why may change because I guess that some people maybe are scared of thinking of their why because they may come up with a very, let's say, stupid reason. Uh, but I want to say to those people, because my wife has, my why, not my wife, my why has changed and it may change in the future. But I think... The process, of, at least, of thinking of your reasons of your why, will make you a better professional. It's not just about you know getting up at six thirty, go to the office, and then come back at six, uh, six or seven p.m. You know sometimes maybe okay today I was working until ten p.m. because for instance right now I'm very much aligned uh, with my work, so what I'm doing is something that is inspiring me. I don't know how to say that, but the what I want to be uh, is kind of in line with some of the things I'm doing right now, which means then it's not just an 8 to 5 or 8 to 6 thing, but it's you know, work is 70% of our life more or less. So it is mm-hmm. important to 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 think about our motivation and not just looking at business as business.
1: I agree with you. You know, whether I'm here in my desk studio, at our other studio or at my home studio, Uh, Or helping people in my IT company or my marketing company, or now I have an online um, uh, academy that teaches people. It's not work for me, Leonardo. Uh, I don't feel like uh, I'm working. You get paid to do these things, but it's providing value, and I have fun doing it. And I think when you have fun doing something, you're never going to work a day in your life. You're just going to get paid for providing value. And I think that's the message we need to send a lot of people out there is that, you know, you're a lot more powerful than you think. But in order to be successful, you have to take the first step. Many people don't want to take that first step. Now, we're almost getting to the end of our time here, Leonardo. I'm really enjoying this. If I had to ask you a question, you know, and we were to pretend that there was a time machine and you could go back in time. The first question i have for you is what date or how long would you want to set that time machine back and the second question is what would you want to change and then be able to let's say jet yourself back to where you are now
2: i'd say john that i would like to go back to my university years because during university even if you think you're really busy And you don't have time to do many things actually looking at my life now i'm sure the same is for you uh, we had a lot of time and the reason why i like to go back is because i would like to have spent more time learning chinese so i'm italian uh spent seven years in the uk now three years in china i'm learning chinese my plan is to stay here a long time i love it here and I find it difficult now to learn a new language and a language like Chinese that is completely different from, you know, learning English, Italian or French just because the structure and the mindset and everything is just another world. I find it difficult now. Um, I try to study every, you know, study the language, learn the language every day, but again it is difficult. So if I could go back when I had more time here in my in my head. I will spend more time learning the language because learning the language, you and I now are speaking English. You know, for me, English really was what uh, enabled me to do everything internationally. I mean, (laughs) it's such a simple thing, simple tool as speaking a bit the language will open so many opportunities. So long story short, learning Chinese when I had more time because even if now I can get by, but, Knowing the language, living in a place like China, China, will, you know, will just be even more amazing than what it already is.
1: Leonardo, I have to ask you something else. A lot of my guests and I ask a very similar question: What made you gravitate back to China? I also have Italian uh, in my background as well. What made you want to come back to China?
2: I'd say that my first approach. Uh, to China was when I was really a kid. So my father, he's been a salesman, an international salesman all his life. And he was traveling all over the world all his life. And I have this vivid memory of him coming back from so far away places such as Beijing or uh, yeah, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Hong Kong, and for me, I don't know, it, it looked like he was coming back from uh, a story, like a magical story. So I would say that China especially, even my father used to, you know, to Mexico, States, uh, around Europe, but I don't know, the image of him coming back from China, maybe bringing small gifts uh, that were completely, you know, amazing because they were just so different to whatever I was used to. I think that was the imprint um, that, you know, made me Kind of, I don't want to say fall in love, but at least very much feel attracted to the Far East.
1: I like that. And, you know, I think international business right now is a lot more important than it was well, when I started business probably now over 30 years ago in my first business. It's more important than it was when I started. I think the culture has changed and you have a lot of experience in cross-cultural relationships. Can you go into that a little bit and why that's so important now?
2: I'd say that maybe in high school or early years of the university, I was way more close-minded. I mean, not that I wasn't able to accept, let's say, other point of views, but I quite often felt like my point of view was not the best one, but more often than not, let's say, the the right one. And then when you start, so a little bit arrogant, let's put it that way, okay? But once you start working, my first real job, you know, I was working for an Italian company. I was dealing every day with Mexicans, Americans, uh, Irish, British, um, French, uh, North Africans. I just found it amazing because sometimes you deal with people that seem so different, far away from you, and then you actually realize that they are so similar to you. And then other times you work with people that maybe, you know, your deskmate, deskmate or your colleague that should be, let's say, similar to you, then actually then you don't agree uh, <laughs> about anything. So cross-culture is about navigating differences and accepting differences. And I think overall it makes you a better person, not just in business, but especially, in, well, you know, with personal circumstances. I have another question, I'm sure
1: you know, and that is, you know... In life, sometimes we don't always get cheerleaders that are on our side. You know, you want to achieve something. I'm sure you've gone through this. And there are people out there and they don't support you. Now, I'll give you my twist to it in a minute, but I want to hear yours. That when you got people on the sideline that aren't cheering you on or that are negative or uh, possibly these people that, you know, they just want to criticize you what do you have to say about that
2: my suggestion would be to try to care as little as possible and try to spend more time with people better than you in something you know but I, I don't mean better generally because you know that doesn't really exist but someone that maybe has more knowledge than you, Someone that has more experience than you, someone that earns more money than you, someone that seems happier than you, or someone that travels more countries than you, whatever. Uh, Spend more time with people that are better than you at something and spend and care less about people that just criticize you.
1: I have two things about that I agree. One is that we become a collection of people that we are part of or hang around. Kind of like, you know, the food, we become what we eat. And the second thing is, and it comes from experience, I had a gentleman a while back that said to me, John, when are you going to give up? And I told the gentleman that I need some time to think about it because I want to give you the precise date, hour, minute, and second that I'm going to give up totally. He says, okay. So I took a few minutes to think about this. And he's waiting for the answer. I said, I'm not going to say his name. I'm going to give up and he's like just yeah when a little baby boy or a little baby girl his eyes are kind of like rolling says to their parents that they don't want to walk anymore or even try he sits back in his chair he goes when is that I said, well, sir, you're a very intelligent man. When is that? He's thinking. He's like, never. I said, see, I told you you were an intelligent man. You knew the answer. He's like, John, you're arrogant. Now get out of my office. So I think sometimes we have to be our own cheerleaders. And we have to create that success inside us. Till we've had a successful podcast show or till we've gotten known by the media, it doesn't happen just like that overnight. You have to believe in yourself first. And what's going to happen is those people around you are either going to dissipate away because they're going to get tired, just like the school kid that was bullying somebody. They're not going to bother, or which is unlikely, but it could. They're going to change their attitude and they're going to become a supporter. I'm not saying that's going to happen. More than likely, they're just going to become a person that doesn't care, and you're not going to be the focal point of their life. You see, a lot of times people do this, and you probably know this, Leonardo, is because they become threatened from you and that you are more than they are right now and possibly will ever be. So I think that's what happens and their self-ego and being scared about the fact of, you know, you're going to be better than me, so I better start putting walls up. And I would say you could do two things, Leonardo. You could build walls, okay? Or you could build bridges. Now the choice is up to you i'd rather have bridges into many people now whether i choose to use them or not is up to me but i like to have gateways and bridges that are always open i don't like to have a path that's broken because if i need something or i need the support of someone i can still go down that pathway because i didn't burn a
2: bridge i will answer very quickly I love the fact that we can build bridges, but then we don't have to use them.
1: Yes, yes, it's our choice. And then these people a lot of times come back and say, hey, you know, you haven't used my bridge. Oh, okay. I've just been busy. So sometimes the bridge owner comes to you and says, hey, you know, I'd like you to use my bridge. Okay, well, yeah, we can do something. Sure. And because you left the bridge open, now the relationship can possibly grow. And you don't appear like a bad guy. So I think yes. that that can be something. But the last thing I, I just want to say to you is, what do you want to leave there? Before you give everybody you know, your information about how to reach out to you, what advice would you like to leave for our viewers here tonight?
2: My advice is you have to be curious. Be curious. Uh, plan. You need to be a planner. But at the same time, you don't have to stick to your plan because plans are going to change. But it is a good ac- mental exercise to plan what is going to happen in the future.
0: Are you suffering from chronic joint or back pain? Downtown's Healthcare in Denver offers effective alternative therapies that are non-invasive, non-surgical, and drug-free. Start your journey to a pain-free life. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown.
2: I really didn't know. I wasn't planning, let's say, to leave Rome. I wasn't then planning, you know, exactly when to leave London. I may have stayed in London for, you know, sixty-seven years and then died there. I wasn't planning exactly to go to Shanghai, but here I am. And my idea is probably to be here for the next fifty years. But you know, who knows? So be curious, and the more curious you are, the more possibilities will come. And the higher the chances, actually, you're going to make um, a good use of the choices and opportunities that will uh, be presented to you. But at the same time, you need to plan because planning is a really good exercise for you. And don't give up.
1: What's that one wise person that once said, if you have failed to plan, then you have inevitably planned to fail. Indeed. Leonardo, this has been uh, very interesting learning about uh, your viewpoints and how you have transitioned from somebody that was in the medical field in sales, still a people person, very much a people person, and then moved into a role uh, to help people with their lives and inspire people and and also help yourself. So I do want to thank you very much for being on our show. And before I say goodbye to you, uh, how can people reach out to you and tell us about your podcast show so if our viewers would like to uh, tune into that?
2: Sure, John. So the very best way to reach out is LinkedIn. Just look for my name, Leonardo Marra. You'll find me there. I love LinkedIn. I've been using LinkedIn since 2012 or 2011, I think. 2011, sorry. So just use LinkedIn to reach out to me. And uh, you can find the podcast on every major platform, the International Business Podcast. And every Monday there is a new episode. And, you know, just listen because you can learn, not from me, but from the international professionals that come on the show.
1: Well, like I said, this has been, uh, you know, really amazing. We've enjoyed having you on the show. And I know our viewers have gotten a lot of value from this because I think if we can work together as a culture and as countries, Uh, there are just so many, uh, levels of potential that weren't even available to us now that, you know, more minds are connecting and different cultures are seeing things different ways. And like I said, with, with different potentials. So again, thank you so much for, uh, being on the show. We wish you all the success, uh, with your life and with your wonderful podcast. Um, and, uh, they, again, thank you for being on our show.
2: Thank you so much, John. It was a pleasure.
1: Well, Marcus, what did you think of Leonardo Mera? I know I definitely learned a lot about some of the differences in the cultures. And I think we're all learning. And I think this is a great benefit of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. There's a silver lining. And that is that a lot of us from around the world are starting to learn the importance of the different cultures, the nuances, and even how to do business with them. Because I think a lot of times when we see something that we don't know, we often fear it. But now that we're having a chance to get acquainted with different cultures, it doesn't seem that threatening anymore. And also now we feel like, you know, we can work together. This is something that I believe, you know, we were missing for a very long time. I definitely want to thank uh, Mr. Leonardo Mera uh, for taking time to come on the J Moore Tech Talk Show. I think a lot of us really enjoyed uh, what he presented to us and how he is really starting to uh, make a positive upheaval uh, over in his country and just getting people on board with uh, cross culturalism and process. You know, you can have process or you can have culture, but when you don't have both of them and you work with different countries, that's a recipe for failure. So I think what he's doing is absolutely amazing. Well, Many of you heard it before, and that is the idea that people are working 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. Well, that has changed. And we've talked about it before. Guy Google has actually spun up the uh, hybrid work model. Having staff spend three days a week in the office as uh, our COVID pandemic restrictions are starting to uh, just ease up a tiny bit. Um, Google has said, and I quote, uh, that 60% of its 140,000 global employees uh, should be spending at least three days in the office every week post-pandemic. This policy was announced in the company uh, wide memo by the CEO Sundar uh, Pichai, uh, which was attached uh, to several tweets and published on numerous uh, blog posts. But, you know, the work week is changing. Microsoft is uh, allowing employees to freely work from home for up to 50% of the work week or work remotely regularly with their manager's approval. Other owners such as Salesforce and the uh, owners of Slack have actually uh, put the nail down and said that the nine to five work day is officially over. And most of its employees are now coming to the office between one and three days a week. Twitter and Facebook have announced similar plans uh, to have their employees work from home or work remotely indefinitely. But I know the question is probably coming to you. Why is it that this is becoming so important? Is it because real estate costs are being able to drop with the amount of rent uh, and lease space that is uh, needing to be paid? And the answer to that is yes. Did you know that Google has estimated they've saved over $1 billion by employees working from home? I mean, that is just so amazing, Marcus. The fact that people are now able to do the same jobs by working from home. And I feel the challenge is not so much working from home but making sure you have the right type of environment. Do you have the same resources at home? Did your company provide you the same access? And not only that, do you have the environment that is conducive to a professional work environment? If you have family, uh, whether they may be screaming or uh, you have kids that are running around, do you have a quiet space where you can close doors and be able to get into conference meetings? Although I think companies are being, let's say, uh, understanding of people working from home, I do believe that they're not going to be willing to compromise on the quality uh, or the experience that people are uh, feeling when they work from home. Now, I'll tell you, there's a few payroll companies. I'm not going to mention them. However, they're actually not providing the same quality. Now, I'm not talking about how the sound appears from the phone i'm actually referring to how they're able to connect you or not connect you with supervisors since nobody's available since there's no one in their living room or their dining room or family room and it's like a real chore to connect somebody somewhere because their systems are not really up to scale it's like they're using this uh toothpick approach And uh, I think if people are going to be doing business with remote companies, these companies got to step up to the pike a little more. They got to put some of that money, they're saving a lot of money, into resources that are going to allow them to manage the staff. Who's on the phone? How can we connect people? Types of systems that allow people to utilize them. Because when you're working from home, there should still be an equal and effective way to communicate, whether that's through chat on the phone, email, we've had email for a long time, but if we don't have equal ways to communicate and collaborate, then we're really just putting ourselves into a box and we're fooling ourselves. Uh, And I want to quote, according to Forbes, um, Randstat's COVID-19 surveillance report shows that 78% of companies found that remote work was more effective than they thought it would be. That's pretty remarkable, Marcus. There's always going to be those people that are, I guess, not going to agree with what's going on. And maybe it's because they're just not willing to change. So that's 22% of America uh, that right now, or of our world, that does not think working from home really is that much better. And is it because maybe. They're biased. They're not able to do their work because they don't really have a professional at home work environment. Their family or their colleagues, they're just not leaving them alone at home and they're not able to manage the clients. They don't really know how to interact in that type of environment. Because let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, it's a lot harder. The other uh, candidates are the people that want to retire. You know, there's a lot of people out there, ladies and gentlemen, that I feel just don't want to work. They want to collect unemployment, and they're looking for excuses not to go back to work. I mean, that is just sad. I think COVID situation is getting a lot better. I'm not saying it's over. But people need to realize it is time to get back to work. And so the first thing people need to do is change their mindset. I always said this one important thing, and I'll say it again. If you're not part of the solution, you are part of the problem. So if you want to keep making excuses at your company, and that company is giving you money. I mean, several companies gave 1000 or $3,000 to help outfit and make their home more productive. And you're just knocking every piece of food that's given to you or every hand that is you know, reached out to help you. Then I have to really say from the executive level, maybe they should consider whether you should even be with that company anymore. If that company is just bending over backwards, Marcus, to help these people and they're not grateful. I think there's a lot more people in this world that would be very happy and willing to work under those type of parameters. I don't know what else to say but excuses are not part of the job. Your client wants solutions, right? They don't want to hear that you can't do something. If you can't do something, guess what's going to happen? Your clients are going to take their business somewhere else. And that's not going to be very fun. Well, listen to you, ladies and gentlemen, we have a great show coming up for you next week. Uh, Mr. John R. Dallas. I know you're going to really enjoy him. He... Um, was one of the heads of one of the largest title companies in the world. And we're going to learn about his new passion in a learning uh, company that he's now part of. So lots of great people coming up. We have Krista Botsford-Croddy, who's going to be coming up uh, on the 21st and she's going to talk to us about how she's running her business now with COVID. And then on the 28th of the month, if you have any children, whether they're in uh, preschool, whether they're in uh, grammar school, whether they're in high school, you're not going to want to miss Sarah's uh, interview because Sarah is going to talk to us about the soundbite of your college student. You know, a lot of parents want to write their resumes and fabricate something so they get into a good college. But, you know, Marcus, if you do that for your son or daughter and they get off to college, What is he or she going to do when they're asked to perform on their own and their parents are at their own job? Are they going to sink? Or are they going to swim and be able to really cut up to the mustard? Are they going to be able to do that? Because this lady that we're going to get to meet, she wrote a great book. And she also was part of that issue several years ago where people We're trying to, let's say, uh, deceive the admissions boards. She talks about a soundbite and how your student needs to have one, but it needs to match what their resume and what their interview is. If things don't match, the admissions uh, coordinators, they're going to figure that out. And probably you're not going to get accepted uh, into that particular school. So, you know, lots of great things uh, happening And I think um, that uh, we just have to realize that we have to apply ourselves. On June 4th, we have Brian O'Neill, who's actually a a musician, but he has another very interesting um, thing that he started to do. And we're gonna learn about that and how he helps people with the design of software and how that uh, flow is very important Uh, to the user experience. And I think a lot of people that are writing software today realize that it doesn't have to be pretty, but what it does need to do is be functional and able to flow so that it has the best uh, work productivity. Well, Marcus, it has been another great show with you. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. I guess we have to say goodbye, right, Marcus? Well, listen, everyone, If you have an idea for a show, please visit jmor.com. Go ahead and click on the reach out button and uh, share your show idea with us. If you'd like to be a guest for a show, let us know. Unfortunately, we can't accept everyone that does submit an idea. Remember, it needs to be something uh, that is pretty stellar and that is going to educate our audience. Uh, We do want to thank Princeton uh, Community TV for uh, picking up our show not too long ago. And listen, if you're a university uh, and you'd like to carry the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show, uh, reach out to us. We will be able to make that happen for you and start having your students and your community interacting with some amazing content. Again, I am John C. Morley, serial entrepreneur, and I will see you and my great co-host, Marcus Hart, uh, next week. And that is going to take us to the second week of May, it'll be May 14th. So have yourself a great one. Be smart, be safe, practice social distancing, don't lose your head, be respectful, but most importantly, everyone, enjoy life. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the J Moore Weekly Technology Show, where we answer your questions about how technology is supposed to work and sometimes why you have challenges getting it to work that way. For more IT support and tips, just text IT support to 88811. That's IT support to 88811, and you'll get tips on technology. I'll see you next week, right here on the Jaymore Tech Talk Show. Remember JMOR.com.